just worshipping there. I mean, one of the, I'm going to spoiler alert. One of the points in my message is about holding things with an open hand. And I felt very much the sense this morning that I need to hold my message with an open hand and uh, just make sure that Holy Spirit is, is talking. God is talking to you. So I'm going to mention some specifics in my message, etc. But but this message is for you guys that are hurting. You guys that feel a bit resigned about things. You guys that have been knocked six ways sideways because of COVID and, and the lockdown. This is for you. But I believe it's for, for more of you who've got things going on. And so I'm going to use words here. But listen to what Holy Spirit is saying to you in your hearts and in your spirits, because that's what God wants you to hear. Bless you guys. Holy God. Holy God, I need you this morning. Use me as your channel, as your vessel, to speak into hearts and spirits and minds. Thank you, Lord. As a new Christian, many, many years ago now, I was on this awesome ride. I was discovering the, the new truth of God. I was 18 years old, discovering the new truth of God and an excitement for living for him. It was great. I was like a sponge. Uh, and I was, you know, what next? What next? You know, oh, you know, I found something about the Bible. Like, thrilling, exciting. Many people spoke into my life over those years words of encouragement and words of prophecy. Uh, things were going great. And I just wanted to serve God, but I wasn't sure how or what. I kind of didn't really know. Time passed. Uh, I got married, had kids, more responsible job, and life started to take over a little bit. I was still faithfully turning up, but in hindsight, I was starting to drift. I started to press God, more of a, a, an urgent prayer, more of a striving, what do you want with my life? Where am I going? What direction do I follow? Consistently, consistently, and consistently, I got no answer, no answer, no answer. My passion and my engagement started to die off, and my prayer life was pretty much exclusively what do you want with me, God? Many of us are without a way forward. Many of us have had a God-given dream, a vision, and have made plans for your lives. Some of them, perhaps prophetic words that have injected like a, a fresh excitement and a fresh passion into your walk. But sometimes the things we see and the things that we seek seem to get further and further away from us. It sometimes feels like we're, we're taking one step forward, but then slipping two steps backwards. Hope isn't rising, hope is fading. Take a moment right now. What dreams and visions have you had that are fading or have faded? What has lockdown, what has COVID robbed you of in your walk and in your life? Are you sitting there in that seat this morning 
without a purpose? Or have you resigned into retirement before your time? How many times have you been running the race only to get the wind knocked out of your sails? We quote it a lot here. From the King James, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So what does the Bible say? Well, this, this thing is amazing. It's jam-packed, rammed full of stories. Stories from different cultures, different people, different times, and different places. The, but one of the beautiful things about this is that when you step back and you get a bird's eye view on all of these stories, we start to see patterns. And we start to see the same pattern over and over and over again. See, the people in these stories were human beings just like us. Their context might have been quite different, but actually the, the principles and the feelings are the same. Therefore, we can use these patterns, we can use these stories to apply to our lives today. Let's go through a, a couple of uh, examples, a couple of characters. Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, he had a dream. And this dream was that people would bow down before him. His brothers would bow down before him. In the story, he finds himself betrayed by those very brothers. He finds himself in a pit and then sold to slavery. But he starts to climb the hierarchical ladder as a slave. He finds himself with a position of authority in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh. He was a captain of the guard, quite an important man. Hope is rising, but Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him, and he finds himself back in a pit, back in a dungeon. Have people falsely accused you? Moses, he spent 40 years in exile after killing an Egyptian. Then hope rises when he speaks to God in the burning bush. He gets a direction, he gets hope. He's told to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He goes before Pharaoh multiple times, says, let my people go. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh refused time and time again. Not only that, he increased the hardship on those slaves time and time again. When finally they were released, Pharaoh pursued them with one of the most feared armies in the whole region at that time. Like Moses demanding of Pharaoh, you find yourself continually hitting a brick wall when you try and move forwards. Job had a great life and a great family. And we know the story, it was all taken away from him. He lost his servants and his livestock, which was basically his whole livelihood. He lost his children and he even lost his health. What's more is that those that were closest to him at the time told him that it was his fault when it wasn't. 
What have you lost? How is your health? Let's zoom out from the individual stories for a second and look at the whole nation of Israel and the whole story of the Old Testament. God chose them to be his people. He promised them blessings and this wonderful promised land flowing with milk and honey. Time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, Israel not only complained, but they made idols to other gods, like the golden calf, and they put up a shear of poles and altars to Baal. They rebelled. They rejected God as their king. They basically said, we want another king. We don't want you as our king. As a result, they found themselves exiled from that promised land, scattered among the nations, and the temple, the very hotspot, the very symbol of God's presence with Israel was destroyed. Are you rebelling? What idols are you worshipping this morning? Just a handful of examples, but you see a pattern. The pattern repeats itself over and over again. I've just taken a selection, but go through the whole Old Testament and you'll see the pattern time and time and time again. We have this awesome book. We can read the end of these stories. We left Joseph in the dungeon, but now he's working for Pharaoh. So I'm gonna read from Genesis chapter 41, this is from 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he sent him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Joseph was knocked back time and time again, but the dream that God had given Joseph was fulfilled in spectacular fashion. It was fulfilled in such a fashion that he actually couldn't even have imagined how great that was. We left Moses leading Israel out of Egypt, being pursued by this huge army. The sea had parted and Israel had crossed on dry ground. And we read from Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when, in the, morning, when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that followed them in the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. See, Moses waited 40 years in exile. He was then continually frustrated, but finally fulfilled his mission of leading his people out of Egypt and onto the promised land. And later on, we read that Moses is hailed as the greatest prophet in Israel's history. This was the middle of Moses' story. He had many other 
challenges and frustrations, but to be quoted as the greatest prophet in Israel's history. I'm not sure even he dreamed it would be that big. We left Job with nothing, not even his health, being told that it's his fault. We read from Job 42. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. We start to see the pattern that happens time and time and time again in the Old Testament. We left the story with the people of Israel scattered in exile with the temple of God destroyed, the very presence of God in their midst symbolically destroyed. Ezra chapter 1. Now this, this is amazing. This is King Cyrus, who's king of the Persians, not even a Hebrew, not even an Israelite, a pagan king the most powerful king in the region at the time. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. God is restoring Israel at this part in the story, and it's from the most unexpected place. See, we very often, when we have dreams, we have this, this picture in our head and we kind of shape it ourselves with our own limited kind of human self, with what we see with our natural eyes. I mentioned that the, the spoiler alert is about holding things with an open hand and let God blow it into an awesome explosion of, of whatever. I didn't choose those words very carefully, but you know what I mean. <laughs> For me, my story, my first day back in church after that time was here at the barn. It was about four years. I would describe were my wilderness years. See, I'd made a deal with God. I was like a Gideon fleece, if you wish. That if I came to church on this Sunday morning, he would give me a word. He would give me a direction. It was kind of like, right then, God, you know, let's do this. And he did on that very Sunday. And as clearly as he's ever spoken to me, he dropped the word in my spirit, leadership. The, the irony here, I'm going a little off script, but the irony here is that in hindsight, in my early Christian years, I've had leadership prophetic words. I always kind of thought, I, I can't see that. That's not me. And I'd forgotten the following months, as a result of this word, I felt as if I were a new Christian again. New energy, new hope, and new focus. 
These stories illustrate how God works. You might be this morning in one of those scenarios or a similar scenario. You don't see the end of your story sitting here this morning. But this is what faith is, and this is why we have this. This tells us how the story ends. You are not going to stay where you are. More is coming. Better is coming. Starting to get fired up. See, there are modern equivalents that we face. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. He has not changed from the times of these stories. The context might be different, but his methods remain the same. So that was all Old Testament based. I'm going to now take us to the New Testament, where this pattern continues. And we're going to zoom right into one specific, one specific period of time. And in fact, it's the ultimate climax to the whole biblical story. And that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The Messiah was foretold in prophecy throughout that whole Old Testament. He was coming to rule and to reign. Now, at the time, you know, Rome, uh, the Romans had occupied Israel. So uh, the Israelites felt like they were living in an occupied land and that God's promise was still to come to free them from all this. So they saw this, this Messiah and this promise that he's going to rule and reign. And in their human eyes, they put two and two together and made five that Jesus was going to come and conquer and kick out the Romans. An example of this is when Jesus was entering into uh, Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. And they were laying down palm leaves and shouting, Hosanna, here comes the king. But they didn't get it. You imagine that expectation and his disciples were in the same place still. Time and time again, they'd spent time with Jesus and you know, he would give them parables. And even to his disciples, he would take them to one side. They'd even try to explain those parables to them. They still struggled to get it. Sounds a bit like me. So here comes Jesus, hailed as a king, riding into Jerusalem to victory. Yet on Good Friday, those that believed and followed him saw him falsely accused beaten, mocked, and hung to die in torture. The very image of defeat and death. Can you imagine late on Friday, early on Saturday? It can't be worse than this, surely. But true to the biblical pattern, in the ultimate expression of God's power and victory, Jesus rises from the dead after three days to a new resurrection body. Why not the day after? Three days. Can you imagine what those three days were like for the disciples? Jesus rises from the dead to a new resurrection body. The old has gone, the new is here. And I have to say this, that 
if you are aligned with Jesus this morning, if you've nailed your, your colors to the mast that's called Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, if you've chosen to follow him, then you will resurrect and live as he has resurrected and lived. You will get a new resurrection body and you will walk into the new heaven and the new earth where everything is going to be restored. The old has gone. The old gets wiped away. The new is coming. Getting off script again. Getting excited. Are you in day one of those three, three days? Are you in shock, disbelief? Are you still reeling? Are you rocking on your heels about what has just happened? Or are you on day three in depressed resignation? Have hope, have faith, because we can read the end of the story. We can see what's going to happen. Sunday resurrection is coming for you and me. And whatever that means in our lives, whatever that means in our difficult situation, Sunday resurrection is coming in your life. Joel chapter 2, God promises, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. 1 Peter chapter 5, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Come on. And I just want you to want to, again, going off script, bad habit. I really want to reiterate here, and I think this is so important, that if you were here this morning and you've never nailed your colors to Jesus' mast, if you've never said, I'm going to choose to follow you, Jesus. You know, none of us, if we apply for a new job, is ever 100% confident that that's the right decision. But we all take a little bit of faith to think, oh, well, on balance, this, I think this is going to be good. Some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking, I'm not going to do this till I'm 100% certain, and I get all this proof. Life doesn't work that way. I mentioned it the other week uh, in James. You know, God says, draw close to me, and I will draw close to you. The evidence just starts to grow when you take that step. That's when life starts, is when you take that faith step. Life starts. Things start to make more sense. Things start to happen. So how do we continue when hope is low? We're in those metaphorical three days. I've got six practical, that's not five, that's just five, six practical solutions, six practical suggestions on how we can behave whilst we wait. This is just, a, you know, today, this is, this is my idea, so this isn't any particular major list, but number one has got to be consume God's word, read the stories, watch for the patterns, apply it to your life. We need to cling to this. Romans 10 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how you're going to get faith. Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I'm a big fan of the Bible Project on YouTube. And they've got this great series on wisdom, on the wisdom literature. And what it teaches us 
is that the biblical idea of wisdom is like living along the grain of life. I've used this before, but I think it's such a great illustration. I don't know if many of you have ever planed a piece of wood. If you try and plane a piece of wood and you plane it against the grain, it splinters, it gets messy, it jars, it, it's jagged. But if you try and plane with the grain, it's smooth and you achieve what you intended to achieve. And this idea of wisdom in the Bible is like living your life along the grain. And you'll find that if you follow this wisdom, you get this kind of smoother ride. If you don't follow the wisdom, guess what? It's going to get splintered. It's going to get jaggedy. Pay attention to the patterns and apply them to your life. Let the word of God shape you and prepare you for your destiny. Number two is a more of a difficult one. It's just grind it out. Grit your teeth. Don't give up. Pick yourself up if you've fallen. Take one more step. And then take another step. Philippians 3. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I love this one. 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. There's a, there's a couple more, because the Bible's full of it. Uh, not only that, Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And last one, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So number one, consume God's word. Number two, I call it grind it out, because it feels like that sometimes, right? Number three, don't force it. One of my favorites. Another pattern we find in scripture is that of planting seed, watering, it growing, and harvesting. See, we live in an instant society today if you want some cash, you go to the cash point straight away. You get your cash out. Feel hungry? Fast food chain. Um, all sorts. You know, um, even if I wanted to get some off Amazon, I might get it by 7 o'clock tonight, right? <laughs> we, the society is pushing us towards instantness. How do you feel when somebody says, you need to be putting money aside for your pension? Not, not fun, is it? <laughs> it's not exciting but it's wise and it's a good thing to do. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Mark chapter 4. And he said, this is Jesus, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. You and I plant, you and I water. Who does the growing? God. We can't force something to grow. Challenge for you this morning, are you continually digging up your seeds to check on their progress? Stop. <laughs> Please, just stop. Just water it and trust God. Wait patiently for the harvest in God's time, not ours. Number four, serve God. Got it up here, part of our mission. Don't wait passively. Where is there a need? What gap can I step into? I've personally found that there's a momentum in serving that carries you into your destiny when it comes. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And again in, in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Hebrews 13, verse 6. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And Ecclesiastes 11. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. There's a non-biblical proverb that you'll all be aware of. The devil makes work for idle hands. Number five, nearly there. One more after this. Hold with an open hand. I gave you a spoiler alert. We don't get the full and final picture when God speaks. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. That passage is very much in the context of the church as a body, suggesting that we need each other to get the full picture. Be prepared for more than you are currently picturing. Lean on your brothers and sisters and your leaders. Say, this is what God's speaking to me about. Will you pray with me? Maybe God will start to expand that vision for you. Some of us cling so tightly to our vision and our dream that it becomes an idol that we worship. We've got to hold this with an open hand. You see, sometimes we start to shape this into what our human carnal desires want it to be. Very easy to do, very subtle as well. 
Something can sound very godlike. It can look very godlike. But it's actually what we've created rather than what God has inspired. We don't hold things with an open hand and we cling to it with our white knuckles. It takes on a shape of its own, which is not godlike. Stay open to what God is calling you to do. God's plan for you is so much greater than you can ever dream. Despite all the time that the disciples had spent with Jesus being taught, right before Jesus was taken up to heaven, they were still expecting him to free Israel once and for all. They had this, this idea of the Messiah coming to kick out the Romans. That was their human interpretation that they were holding to. And actually, they weren't really listening to Jesus when he was telling them. This had become something that they created, this image. Acts chapter 1, they're asking Jesus. They say, so, so it says, so when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, the disciples had this vision of Jesus conquering the Romans, yet God's plan was bigger and greater than they could ever imagine. God's plan was actually the salvation of the whole world. And their white knuckle clinging to was about Israel. Hold what God has given you with an open hand. I would even suggest be willing to come forward to the altar and lay it down in sacrifice. Because if it's really from God, it'll come back to you. If you've been clinging to something that you believe God's given you, and time and time again things haven't happened, have you ever laid that down at the altar and sacrificed it and given it back to God? I hadn't planned that one, but perhaps it's a challenge for someone this morning. Number six, the last one. Lean on Jesus. And I wonder if the band would come up, please. And if I'm not alone up here, it'd be nice. Jesus' promise to you is that no matter what you're going through, he will always be with you. Spend time at his feet, meditating on God and meditating on his word. Repeatedly come to the altar and bow down before him. Matthew 28, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 12, now, now this is a challenge. So this section is lean on Jesus, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you, and I'm pointing at you, me as well, you guys, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So church, I challenge you now. You are the body of, that you are the body of Christ. You are his hands and his feet on this earth. We are his agents his representatives. This passage is a mandate for us to step up and be with those that need to lean on Jesus in such times. All too often, maybe I'm, talking, I'm probably speaking personally, all too often is I, now I'll sit back and say, well, Jesus will be with them, waiting for that divine kind of interaction. But actually the challenge is for us. We are his hands and his feet. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 9, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship 
of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jamie mentioned this Greek word uh, a couple of weeks ago, koinonia. Fellowship is, is koinonia. And it means fellowship, partnership, sharing with. Archaeologists have found manuscripts of about the same time that this was written. And this word, this Greek word koinonia, is also uh, quite often used to, to mean business partnerships. You're in it together. Let me read that again. God is faithful by whom you are called into the partnership, into the sharing with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The point is that, that Jesus and us work together to see his purposes fulfilled. So if somebody needs to lean on Jesus, let's be there and be Jesus for them. I want to invite you to respond this morning. If you guys would like to pray a little bit, it'd be great. Thank you. I've got three questions for you. We have some time for ministry. Number one, have you lost hope? Because hope is coming. Resurrection Sunday is coming. Number two, are you just grinding it out and you're just exhausted? I want to, to invite you to come and, you know, this isn't a real altar, we call it an altar, but come to the altar and get some prayer. We've got a prayer ministry team. Great. Um, we've got people who will pray with you. Um, we use this side. If you don't want anyone to pray with you, then come to this side and just come to the altar and do business with God. But this, this space here, I will come and pray with you as well. Are you just tired? Come and get filled with the living water of Jesus to, to take that next step, just the next step. And number three, have you made your dream your idol? Are you clinging with those white knuckles to that? I want to invite you to come and lay it down at the altar and give it up, sacrifice it to Jesus. And his destiny for you has not changed by doing that. And if it's right, you're going to get that back. I'm done. So um, as the band play, yeah, I just, my heart is so to see, see hope and life grow and build. It breaks my heart when I hear stories of people who are in that resignation stage or they're hurting or there's pain. And what can I do? I can pray. I'd love to pray for you. Um, so as the band plays, yeah, just, just respond as you feel God's leading you to respond. And then uh, Murray will come up and we'll see what God wants to do.